What's good, yo? It's your boy Stephen Malcolm, and you are tuning in to New New Magadcast. Let's go. Oh, yeah, I get what you're saying. There's another element to that, though. And when you go back to when you talked about false prophets, when you make a distinction between that, because there's even distinctions between false prophets. So you have a false prophet, meaning that they are fake prophets, but then you have false prophets that mean that they are real prophets but are operating under a false god, which means that which, what I mean by that is they have uh, the heavenly resources or the spiritual acumen to access supernatural powers because they really were ordained or called to be in it, but they chose to reject him or they chose to, once again, defect and then operate in a certain level of charisma, knowing that they're rebelling against God. So now yet you have a different level of false prophet who is intentionally deceiving the people, knowing that he's operating in the supernatural um, and merging the word of God with cosmic and psychic things and, and leaning into the spiritual realm of the demonic as well. But, you, so you have, I guess what I'm just trying to say is, even in false prophets, there are distinctions. Some of them pretend to be prophets and are not. Some of them are real prophets who have defected, and they're false prophets too. And then some of them are just people who just miss God in the prophecy. Or like you said, what you were talking to, they're um, lukewarm or just not living right. or They're halfway with it. So God comes in and blesses the word that he, that was spoken, and then people are confused about, they think that that's validating their lifestyle. I think what you're saying, they think that it's validating their lifestyle because he's confirming his word. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I was thinking about a third type of false prophet, the mm -hmm. man or woman who is in a false religion and they are calling themselves a prophet. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I want to, I want to, um, bring out a point here real quick based on that conversation. Um, the, there is a key, there were some key words that were spoken in the part that you brought out in the scripture where it says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Mm. Now, I wanna I wanna bring up something about that verse that really struck me some time ago, probably at least I would say two or three years ago is when it hit me really hard. And I realized what that's saying and I was like, Whoa, hold up. Most people when they read that, they're probably thinking the way I used to think when I would read that scripture. Now you think most people when they read that, I would I would venture to say that they probably think that they're reading that they don't know him. Right. They're reading it wrong. They're mm -hmm. reading it wrong. They really did not read it the way that it's written. They don't see that he said, I don't know you. <laughs> Now that really brings up interesting, uh, interesting thought. I've only heard one person try to break that down 
And I like what he was saying. I'm not going to say that I think that it is the complete thing. I'm not going to say that it was incomplete either. I'm not going to say that it was like full everything that you can get out of it, but it was definitely good. But one of the things that was said is that this whole thing about him knowing you is about your willingness to open up to him. So this is how I put it. It's like this. You know, the word of God is very clear on the fact that we have to allow Jesus into our heart. Mm -hmm. It's not a thing where he just bum rushed the, the heart and says, I'm here. Now you're a Christian. All right, let's go. Let's get it. You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus doesn't force himself into your life. Right. You have to welcome him into your life. And essentially the thought that was being shared by this minister is that that's a continual process. When you are born again, now you have to open yourself up to the Lord for him to get to know you better because his your heart is something that is something you can close off to him or open up to him. And it's no different than if I as a person am trying to get to know you. You could choose to let me know about you or you could choose to not let me know about you. And just as much as we're trying to get to know him, he's trying to get to know us. Now, that might sound real strange to some people. I ain't going to lie that, that I'm sure that that's really like some people are baffled by that statement. How is it that he's trying to get to know me? Isn't he God? Yeah, he is God. Doesn't he know everything? Essentially, yes, he does. So why would I be, why would he not know me or not know my heart? Because you're not being transparent or real with him. I want to you build keep, on that. Yeah, let's build on that. Go ahead. Yeah, I want to let you get off. I want to let you go ahead and not lose your thought on that. So, I, so it's like this. If I, if I say, okay, um, if I say, okay, Jesus, come into my heart, and I say, okay, and then people say, okay, you're saved now. Okay, cool. So one person, they're saying they're saved now, and they think that's all there is to it. And they just go to church every Sunday. But that's as far as it goes. They don't spend any time during the week talking to the Lord and revealing more about themselves to him in a real conversation. See, what people fail to realize about the relationship with Jesus is it is no different than your relationship with a person that you can see with your eyes. To the level that you open up to them, that's the level that they know you. Mm. So there's a lot of people that they will receive Jesus into their heart, but they don't go through the process of growing by revealing to him and saying, I give you permission to deal with this now. This is another thing that I'm dealing with. The word of God says, ask and you shall receive. It doesn't say wait for the Lord to do something in your life because you asked him into your heart. Mm. 
we have to continuously give Jesus permission to do stuff in our heart. But in order for that to happen, we have to also be real with him. See, it's not that God doesn't know stuff about us, but it's not, it's a, what's the word? It's a process of continuously being open with the Lord. A lot of people, they like to hide things from God or they think they're hiding it from God. Essentially, God knows it, but it's not knowing it in the sense that you were willing to be real with him in a moment or in your life and open up to him and say, this is how you feel about something. Like, he can know that you are bitter, but if you acting like you're not bitter, then what can he do? He can't do anything about that because you're not being real about your bitterness. Mm. And this reminds me of way back in 2000, uh, 2002 when I had a moment in my life that changed my life forever. And that was the moment when God revealed to me this false prophet that I had been listening to for seven years. And uh, that's what I wrote my book based on. And at that time, I was mad. I was angry at God. I stormed out of that so-called church. And I was so angry at God. I said, why did you let me stay here for seven years and you knew this was he this is what he was. Why did you let me be here for seven years? When I left, mad, angry at God, and it stayed like that for about several years. And um, throughout this time frame, I remember how the pastor of the church that I went to after I left that place, he would periodically say stuff to me when I would ask questions. He was like, Norman, the way you're asking that question is like you're questioning God, like you're angry at God and, and you're bitter and this, that, and the third. It's not like you're asking out of curiosity. You're angry at God. And, you know, I didn't necessarily really know what he was talking about at the time. I didn't recognize it like that. But I knew that he was right, but it was like, I'm like, man, why can't I ask these questions? You know what I mean? Like, that's how I was feeling. Um, so, but in my process, though, I started to open up to God and tell him how I felt. Like, you know, when you grow up in the Lord, well, let me not say it that way. In certain churches, in certain generations, in the generation that you and I came up in, people weren't talking about being real with God. I've never heard anybody talking like that. Nobody was saying, you know, you know, share which, share your thoughts with the Lord and tell him how you really feel and stuff like that. It wasn't like there was this culture of being real and open with God. That wasn't something that I heard about at all. So for me, it was foreign to say, I'm going to tell the Lord how I really feel about something. As a matter of fact, I felt like if I'm talking to God, I got to make sure all my I's are dotted and all my T's are crossed and I'm not saying anything bad. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got to come to him with the holy words and stuff like that. And But it wasn't until later on in my life that, and I'm saying it pretty much started around this time, 
that I started to realize I need to get real with God. I need to, like, tell him how I really feel about stuff. And it's really no different than what David was doing in the Psalms. See, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, they don't realize that David, one of the reasons why David said, I mean, God said, David is a man after my own heart. You look at what he said in the Psalms. That's the clear picture of a person who is being open and honest with God. They're being real, and they're allowing God to deal with their heart while they also tell God how they feel about stuff. David was, in that regard, the ultimate example of that in Scripture. Mm -hmm. We hear him talking about how he wants to destroy his enemies, and then we hear him talking about how He's worshiping the Lord, and then we hear about him talking about his sin and his iniquities and all these things. But David is being open and transparent with God. It wasn't that God didn't know these things about David, but God also was waiting for David to be honest about those things. Mm -hmm. And David was honest about it. And that's why God knew him. So this is this is very important for us to understand as believers. If you really want God to know you, you got to be open and honest with him. You have to reveal the real deep thoughts of how you feel about certain things and people and circumstances and whatever. And you say it how you feel it. Not Don't try to water it down. Don't try to sugarcoat it. Don't try to make it sound eloquent. Say it how you feel it. Because when you say it how you feel it, God can take where you feel it and he can turn it around and make it better. But when you try to sit there and you say, oh, man, um, well, God, it's, it's not that I want to steal that thing. It's just that there is this thought once in a while, you know, it just comes to me like, I thought about it, like, what would it be like to take it? And no, you tell God, yeah, I want to steal that bike right there. (laughs) I like that bike. I want it. I want to steal it. I want it to be mine. You know what I'm saying? Like, be real with God. He knows you already feel that way. Say it. Don't try to front like you don't want that. You do want it. And when you show that to God, now God can take your realness and he can now start to heal you in that area. He can start to deal with you on that thing that you're struggling with. So, so anyway, I'm going to stop there and let you start to elaborate. No, that's good. That's some good stuff right there. That's some good practical wisdom. And that, to me, will walk somebody through devotionally how to really enter into real fellowship, uh, koinonia. Uh, with God. One of the other things I want to build on this from another angle of I never knew you. There's a part of us that he does discover in us that he needs to know, that he needs to learn. And I want to go to, first I want to go over to Galatians 1, 15, I'll go back to 14. This is when Paul is basically giving his credentials and and talking about him being, um, Christ being revealed to him, but he then brings out 
something that's very important. In, in Galatians 1.14, he says, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I'm going to stop right there because every time I read that in the past, like maybe 10 years ago I read that, I'm like, why didn't he say to reveal his son to me? (laughs) But he said to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is another scripture that's used, and I'll break that down a little bit later, but another scripture that's used in Colossians 1.27 when he talks about this is the mystery of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of the things that we know that God, um, we know he's all-knowing, but the thing that's new is his shared identity with his new creation. So, there has never been, there was Christ in the body manifested in the flesh. It was Christ in the apostles, Christ in the early church. But until you became born again, there was never a Christ in you. There was never a Christ in your soul, in your personality, having your experience, having your background, having everything that makes up who you are. That combination of his essence, in us makes us a new creation, and it's a shared identity. So another thing when we look at when we see where he says, I never knew you, I did not see myself in you. I Not only the you that I didn't know, but I didn't even see me and you intertwine or braided together, um, as the Hebrew understanding says when it talks about int- intimacy, I did not see me braided together with you. I never knew you. I never, I can't recognize you. And I can't, then the reason why I can't recognize you is because I can't recognize me in you. And that's a big thing because the thing that separates us from God is the people who don't have his nature in them, the people who don't have his likeness in them. They don't, they, they don't have his spirit is what we're actually talking about, his essence. And so I think that just adds on to what you were talking about because I believe what you were talking about is the process to get to that point where we are braided together with him, where we actually can say, like you said, yeah, I want to steal that bike right now. This is what I'm really feeling. I really want to cuss this dude out. I'm, I'm really about to do it. And you may even do it in his presence. Knowing in the spirit you're getting convicted on the spot, but there is that interchange. There's that um, there is that real fellowship, like you said, being real in His presence. Um, you're being fake, basically saying you are performing all these works, you are doing all these activities, but you are not being who you really are, and you aren't being who you would really be in me. And so I can't really be who I really am in you. And so I think that both of those concepts together uh, really speak to what it means to walk and be in fellowship with him and not just performing. 
<laughs> that is good, man. You know, I was thinking about the whole thing about there being an exchange. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about Genesis, um, when the Bible says that uh God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Um, there's a lot of stuff to get out of that 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 group of scriptures because the first thing we are seeing is he's walking with him. It's no different than you walking beside your friend or your spouse or whatever, and you're going somewhere and you're talking. Yeah, man, I did this, da, 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 da. You remember when we were, da, 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 da? you know how, when we were, da, 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 da. oh, man, I'm going to be going to here, da, 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 da. or let's hang out and do, da, 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 da. you know, whatever it is you're talking about, you're having an exchange while you're walking with that person. Mm-hmm. And I brought this, I brought this out not long ago to someone. I was telling them, I said, I said, uh, oh, I know what it was. I was teaching a class. Um, this te- this class called Creation versus Evolution. And um, I was telling the students, I said, if you think about it, what is the one way that we reflect God's nature more than anything? I want to know what your answer would be to that, Terrence, first, before I tell them what I told them, tell the audience what I told them. So ask it again. I said, what is the biggest way that we reflect God's, um, how God is, basically. Like, he said he made us in his image and likeness. So I was saying, how, what is one of the biggest ways that we are like God, basically, is what I was asking him. I won't won't say, I'm going to speak to the biggest way. I say one example, I would say that, um, our creative words that we can speak things and manifest things like him. Okay. Yes. So I did say that, but I was also bringing up the fact that speaking is our biggest way that we reflect the same thing that God does Mm -hmm. because everything he created was through his words. And then I said, if you think about when you get together with other people, and this is essentially how I said it. I said, okay, let's just imagine you tell Jenny or whatever. I'm just making up names. You tell Jenny, uh, I'm coming over to your house later so we can hang out. Okay. You get over to Jenny's house, and then you say, hey, you, you, meet, them at, you meet her at the door. Then you sit down at, at, the, at the sofa. Are you at that point just going to look at Jenny and then she looks at you and then that's all you do for two or three hours? No. What are you going to be mainly doing with Jenny? Running your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Your mouth mouth is going to be going the whole time you're there. Telling people, you're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff with her. So the point is, is that you none of us ever um get together with somebody else without talking no communication mm-hmm. so that is the biggest way that we are like god we we talk we talk a lot that is a major component of how we 
are are building with each other by our words. So no doubt. So we talking about what God was doing with Adam. He was talking to him. What kind mm-hmm. of stuff could they have been talking about? I mean, it's a whole bunch of stuff I'm sure they could have talked about. But the point is, is that God was walking with him. Imagine if God is on whatever side, your left or your right, and you're walking together talking about stuff. Just imagine what that looks like. And it's no different than a regular uh, friend of yours. And you're just talking like, so what did you do today, God? Oh, man, like I could tell you about a lot of stuff, but what I will tell you is that I created this new um, planet, and, you know, when I did it, right, I did it a little different from the way I did Earth. I kind of was like, you know, and then you just hear God telling you how he made another planet. <laughs> you know, it's like I could just imagine something like that, you know, as the conversation that he would have had with Adam. Or he'll be like, God, he'll ask God, like, God, um, what does an Adam look like? And he breaks that down. But then imagine yes. what kind of questions would God be asking Adam? <laughs> right. Now, this is going to be interesting because, I mean, I'll be honest, I've never actually thought about that. I'm just thinking about it now. So just imagine what kind of questions would God be asking Adam? So, Adam, I brought this little insect to you the other day. You think of a name for it yet? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yeah, why do you call that a a, a butterfly? Mm-hmm. Well, because you know it does this and that, and it looks like this and that, and so I felt like you know butterfly. And then God's like, "Oh, that's cool. I like how you thought that through. <laughs> you know, saying or whatever." Mm-hmm. Like, and God is just amazed at how you're thinking. And he's like, dang, you came out of me, and you're thinking like that. Okay. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And I'm just imagining that's how it is in God's discovery of what he really created when he made man. Because God did not, per se, know man before he created man. So we have to disqualify that. Disqualify that. Okay. So- because first scripture, well, I have a few things I wanted to say to what you just said. I don't want to get, I don't want to lose everything, but I, but I had to jump on this one thing when you said that part because I was thinking of, you know, uh, what he said to Jeremiah. Yeah, I know you were probably going to say that, and I thought about that too. Go ahead, go ahead, but though. I, but I want to speak to the part that you talked about as far as discovering, because. I think it's one thing to know, to have foreknowledge, and then to have experiential knowledge, in real-time knowledge. And that is the discovering what, going back to what I was saying before, what his nature, what his, what his, um, his, his set, how he is, how that operates in human flesh, <laughs> and seeing himself, a microcosm of himself, operating on that level and seeing how that actually materializes into the flesh because 
Yeah, the scripture says he's spirit. But now he put his spirit mm-hmm. in man, but now he's seeing how his spirit is working and operating in man, which is a new thing. That is something that's not just can be the same. Well, that's in eternity. No, that actually materialized in time. So he's discovering. And there's other passages where he, you hear him say, now I know something about man, or now I know, or, you know, it's something that he actually is experiencing, that experiential knowledge in real time. But I wanted to go back to the other thing you were talking about, the concept of sharing, sharing with one another, constant breaking bread, walking together. It made me think of a few things. It made me think about Enoch, you know, him walking with Enoch and just taking him up just because of those glory exchanges. And those, I, I like to call them those glory transactions that's going on because as he's sharing into us and we're pouring back into him, there's something new being created. And it even makes me think about the mystery of the of marriage when it says, the, talks about the man and the woman and the two shall become one. But that one is a compound one because they still have their own bodies, but yet they're still called one. Um, because of their unity. But just look at us fellowshipping with him, and then we're actually creating a new one. We're basically manifesting something that has never been seen before, nothing that has ever, that could ever have been beheld in the heavens or in the earth because of that. So that makes me think about those things. And then it just brought me to John 15, too, when he was talking to his disciples. Well, let me go back a little bit. In the verse um, John fifteen twelve, when he said, "This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends." Then he says, "You are my friends if you do whatever I command you." And then in fifteen he says, "No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends." For all things have I, that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Um, and so, oh, just that other part. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And it, it goes on and on. But just the whole concept, I thought about that when you were just talking about or describing a relationship that the father or that Christ even would have with Adam, um, you know, um, walking in the cool of the day in the garden and those kind of exchanges. And it speaks to me about the distinction between a servant to somebody that does something for him and then someone who really wants to know him. and, And then in exchange, they become known by him. That makes me even think about the distinction between Mary and Martha, and Martha doing all of the serving and the work. Was it Martha that was doing the serving and the working? And then it was, was it Mary that basically was just sitting at his feet? Yeah, Mary was sitting at his feet, yep. Yeah, and and what did he say? I think he said something about something he about said, the fact you are, that he, you're encumbered with so many things or something like that, like in so many words, you you. You worried about all these things that don't even matter. Come and and he said that Mary chose sister. a better thing or something like that. He highlighted yeah, that. Yeah, I think the needful thing he said. I think he the said needful, needful thing. 
Yeah, and so I think even in that, it brings out, and I think the way that we have taught it, so I, it's an excellent point that you're making as far as being known by him. We always teach it from the perspective of us learning of him and not the uh, aspect of him learning learning of us as we are learning of him because he's actually seeing something in us that he's not seeing in other people. This is why he would get amazed by certain people in their faith, and they would move in a certain measure of faith, and it blew him away. Even though he's God, he was blown away by what he discovered in them in that in that period of time, how they were actually um, responding in faith towards him. So I think that's a, that's a big deal. And it goes back and it speaks to, the distinction between someone who's just been caught up in the works of serving, the works of religious activities even, and someone who's really a son, uh, really the offspring, that's going to be that's going to be something that's distinguished beyond just works. It's going to be something on a on a greater level because I wanted to still connect that back to this whole thing of distinguishing the apostates and those in apostasy who might still be serving in church. They may not all just have um, left the church and just out there just wilding. They might be wilding and still serving, still having their positions and all of that, but there's still a distinction there between those who are really, who remain in him and those who don't. Yeah, so before we go further in that, I want to read the passage of scripture that you were talking about with Mary and Martha. Okay. And it's found in Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to start at verse uh, 38. It says, now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not mm. be taken away from her. Mm, 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 mm. So this also <laughs> goes to people that if you're so concerned about serving all in the church, you know, not, you know, trying to put on a show, even if you're not doing it to put on a show, but you want to just be doing all this stuff in the church, and you're being seen doing it, but then you're getting frustrated with how people aren't helping you to do it as well, you know, but have you taken the time to spend with the Lord? Mm. Like people <laughs> are so worried about serving, but are they spending time with the Lord? And um, there's seasons of serving. There's seasons of, you know, when you need to be really engulfed in certain things for the for the specific local body that you're part of. But then there's also 
the times that you're, you're supposed to be, even in the midst of the season of doing those things, you should still be concerned about your time spent with the Lord. And that is the most important thing. And so here it is, Jesus was trying to tell Martha, you know, all that stuff you're concerned about, I'm not concerned about it. You need to do what your sister is doing. And that should show people in the body of Christ that, you know, there's a lot of times that people are so, like, acting like, you know, whatever the church is needing, that they should just be jumping on it and doing it or whatever. But yet they don't deal with what they need to deal with in their personal life. Or they don't deal with, you know, they're not, okay, let's say, for, for, for I can give you one great example. Um, mm-hmm. This happens between married couples. I've heard it happen often enough that I know that it's an issue where there would be a wife that would be all caught up in things that she wants to do for the church. But when her husband says that he needs her to do certain things, she acts like she can't do those. And mm-hmm. that's completely out of order. Number one, because your husband, he's the one that has authority in your life first and foremost. And that's, that's before any pastor or any elder or anybody else. Your husband is who has first authority in your life. And if you are not taking care of the things with your husband, but yet you're all into whatever the pastor said, and whatever the elder said or whatever some other leader in the church said, you're out of order, period. There's no way around it. You're out of order. That is not the order of God. The order of God is take care of your home first. Then you take care of other things. So so saying that, having said that, um, Mary and Martha are a great example of showing the difference between how Jesus looks at serving versus someone that is like basically learning and 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 soaking up something from being in his presence. You need that. Yeah, go ahead. He said something else about that cuz the spirit was just speaking to me and was saying like he said, yeah, um some of them just invited me in their house as a guest. And and that's why that's why I didn't remain because I was just a guest for them. And and mm-hmm. the, and he gave that just that depiction of someone who is interested, someone who knows the notoriety of Christ, the name of Christ, wants to be familiar with the terminology with the activities, and so come on in, and I'm going to serve you real good because I know how to serve real good and make sure you're comfortable and all this kind of stuff. But while you're doing all this, there's no intimacy. There's there's no intimacy that goes on. So you don't even really recognize when he left. Basically, you don't recognize it because you were so busy doing the work. When he's like, okay, I'm out because, you know, it's, there's nothing here for me. There's nothing that would cause me to remain. You didn't even recognize that I was gone. It's still linking back to, and not saying that Martha was an apostate, just, just building off that concept of the distinction, but 
the idea that people could be all around the things of God, all around that, and even invite him into close quarters, into their house, but never be intimate with him to know him or be known by him. And so, therefore, because I know it's still puzzling for people to say, how could somebody operate in all of these things around ministry? And the scripture says, going even back to the one in John, and those who went out from us were never of us. They they were never of us, but they were all in the midst, and everybody else would see them and consider them believers. They would consider them a part of the church. They would sit, consider them um, members of the household of the faith. Of faith. But um, if you look back, if you and if you had his purview, then you could see what he sees. And it's like, okay, you were just hosting my name, you are hosting my presence for an occasion, but you did not want to be intimate with me. And that's a big distinction. I want to, uh, I want to point out something in John chapter um, 11 that I feel like is very interesting. So John chapter 11, verse one, it says, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Martha which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode. Thanks for listening to the New Numa Godcast once again. This is your host, Norm. Follow me at Norm the Professor on IG. I'm in agreement for power and breakthrough in your life. Keep tuning in every week for that real talk, new life.